The Inform Fitness Podcast with Adam Zickerman is a presentation of Inform Fitness Studios, specializing in safe, efficient, personal high-intensity strength training. In each episode, Adam discusses the latest findings in the areas of exercise, nutrition, and recovery, the three pillars of his New York Times best-selling book, The Power of Ten. He aims to debunk the popular misconceptions and urban myths that are so prevalent in the fields of health and fitness. And with the opinions of leading experts and scientists, you'll hear scientific-based, up-to-the-minute information on a variety of subjects. We cover the exercise protocols and techniques of Adam's 20-minute, once-a-week workout, as well as sleep, recovery, nutrition, the role of genetics in the response to exercise, and much more. Greetings again, Adam here. Welcome to the Inform Fitness Podcast Rewind. Our listen back to classic interviews with high-intensity gurus, scientists, and authors. This is part two of four with author and personal trainer and biomechanics expert, Bill DeSimone. Bill is certainly known for his sensible biomechanics approach to exercise and training, and that it should always be joint friendly. Bill and I are gonna be talking about the importance of always using a safe and limited range of motion. Bill and I both agree that everyday life tests us and can, in some cases, certainly push and extend our safe limits of range of motion, especially in sports. So later in the episode, we will be talking about should you be working out to extreme ranges of motion if your life or your sport asks for it? I'm saying limit range of motion because that, that might be the verbiage that we understand and maybe the listeners would understand. It's, it's really a lot more complicated than just saying use this range of motion. Uh, so for instance, in a low back exercise, say a stiff-legged deadlift, when I used to misinterpret that by using a full range of motion, I would be standing on a bench with a barbell, and the barbell would be at shoe level. My knees would be locked, my lower back would be rounded, my shoulders would be up by my ears as I'm trying to get the bar off the ground. And so yes, I was using a full range of motion. And yeah, I gotta go to a chiropractor just listening to that. Exactly. Yeah, but, but you still see it all the time. You see it all the time when people are using kettlebells. You see that exact posture, right? The, the kettlebell is between their legs, their knees are locked, their lower back is rounded, and then now they're doing a speed lead. At least I was doing them slow. They, they, they're doing <laughs> speed deadlifts. So if I was gonna use, if I was gonna do a, an exercise like that, it wouldn't be a, a extreme range of motion. I'd be looking to use a correct range of motion. So for instance, I wouldn't lock the knees. And I would only lower the person's torso so that they could keep the curve in the lower back, which might require a rep or two to see where that is. But once you see where that is, that's what I would limit them to. So for instance, uh, the chest press machine I have in the studio is a nitro. And Nautilus nitro. Nautilus nitro. The seat doesn't adjust enough for my preference. So the, back the, per the, the person's at elbows come too far back. For, right. So for instance, to get the first rep off the ground, the person's elbows have to come way, way behind the plane of their back. So what, I, so what I'll do is like, you know, I'll help the person out of the first repetition, help them out of the bottom, and then I'll have either my hand or the clipboard where mm. I want their around. elbow to stop. So as soon as they touch my hand and my elbow, they begin to rep the other way. Um, so that's another thing we tend to do is we tend to think of everything in terms of the big superficial muscles, right? Because that those was are the ones that rarely get hurt, right? It's the that, right, those are the ones that don't get hurt. It's it's the <laughs> joints that, that that was one thing of all the stuff I read, whether it was CSCS or Darden stuff or Jones's stuff. There was always a little murkiness between what was the joint and what was the muscle, and and that the, that stuff was always written from the point of view of the muscle. Rarely, what's, a, what's a joint capsule? 
for those that don't know what a joint capsule is, a shoulder capsule. Well, it's, it's kind of part of the structure of what holds your shoulder together. If the, the old Nautilus machines, you know, 1980 vintage, that bragged about getting such an extreme range of motion, some of them, it really took your shoulder to the limit of where it could go to start the exercise. And, and we were encouraged to go that far. But the real problem is unnecessarily adding to life's wear and tear on your joints. So it's not just what we do in a gym that counts. If somebody plays tennis or somebody has a... Uh, Desk job. <laughs> manu- a desk job or a manual labor job and a constant, let's say, you know, a plumber or, or some other manual labor guy has to go over his head with his arms a lot. That wear and tear on his shoulder counts. <laughs> and just because they walk into your gym and you ask them on a health history, you have any orthopedic problems, they say no. Yes, I'm on the verge of an orthopedic problem that I don't know about and I've worn this joint out because of work, but no, I have no orthopedic problems at the moment. You know, my thing is, uh, my, the exercise I'm prescribing isn't going to make that worse. Um, well, you don't want it to make it worse. And, well, and, and... And that's why you're limiting range of motion. That's why you're that's right. matching the strength curve of the muscle with the resistance curve of the, of, of the tool you're using, whether right. it be a free weight or a machine with a cam. Right. We're supposed to be doing this for the benefits of exercise. I truly do not understand crippling yourself over the magic benefit of exercise. You know, in 2014, there was a lot of negative publicity about CrossFit with some of the really catastrophic injuries coming about. Mm-hmm. There's no magic benefits just because you risk your life. You know, you either benefit from exercise or you don't, but you don't get extra magic benefit because you push something to the brink of, uh, you know, uh, uh, cracking your spine or tearing your shoulder apart. Well, they talk about them being functional or natural movements that they, they do encourage these full ranges of motion because that's what you do in life, right? So doing... Where? <laughs> Where? So, you know, you know, what's interesting is 20, 25 years ago, there was a movement in physical therapy and they would have back schools. It was sort of like an occupational oriented thing where they mm-hmm. would teach you how to lift. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I thought that was so frivolous. I just thought, get stronger. But... Lifting it right in the first place is really the first step to not getting injured. But, but for instance, practicing bad movements doesn't make you invulnerable to the bad movements. You're just wearing out your free passes. Right. Now, sport is, is a different animal, right? Again, I don't think anyone's doing this, but there's enough wear and tear just in your sport, whether it's football, martial arts, running. Why add more wear and tear from your workout that's there to support the sport? You know, the original Nautilus marketing pitch was, look how, efficient, look how efficient we made weight training. You can spend more time practicing. Mm-hmm. You don't have to spend four hours a day in the gym. You can spend a half hour, twice mm-hmm. a week, three times a week in the gym and get back practicing. Why, why, why is this so hard to get across? That? Because, you, first of all, you're dealing with 20-year-olds, right? They can tolerate almost yeah, so anything. What? So what are you break. saying about 20-year-olds? I was a lot more invincible <laughs> at 20 than I am at 60. But, but the other thing, for instance, let's say at a college level. Screw those 20-year-olds. Th- this is not my, my experience. I'm repeating this. But if you have a weight room that's empty and you're the strength and conditioning coach because you're intensely working people out briefly every day, the rest of the time they're idle. They're off doing their own thing. Or every day the administrators and the coaches see people running hoops and, and, and doing agility drills or running with parachutes on, and every day there's activity going. What looks better? <laughs> what is more job security for that strength and conditioning coach? Wait a second. Uh, what, what is Jim, the strength training coach, doing? He's, he's working one day a week with the team, and exactly. what is he doing the rest of the week? And what's the team doing the rest of the week? <laughs> what's the team? So, Wait a second. Um, 
but but again, also don't forget again, if you're talking about twenty something year old athletes, they're gonna tolerate it. I mean, who knows what that's gonna bring on later. A couple of years ago, ESPN had a story on a guy. He had gotten injured doing a barbell step up. So a barbell step up, you put a barbell on your back, you step onto a bench, bring the other foot up, step back off the bench, four repetitions. Classic sports conditioning exercise. Mm -hmm. In this guy's case, either he stepped back and twisted his ankle and fell with the bar on his back, or when he went to turn to put the bar back in the rack, when he turned, it spun on him, and he damaged his back that way. Either way, he put his ability to walk at risk. So the ESPN story was, oh, look how great this is. He's back to playing. Yes, but he put his ability to walk at risk to do an exercise that is really not significantly... It's more dangerous in other ways of working the legs. It's not better. Like, they don't have... Like, the coaches here, the, the physical trainers, they don't have evidence that doing step-ups is any more effective... Not at all. ...in the performance of their sport or in, even in their just pure strength gains than, let's say, doing a safe version of a leg press or, or even squats for that matter. And even if you wanted to go for more of an endurance thing, right, running stadium steps was a classic exercise, right? But stadium steps were, were what, three or four inches? They made them very flat? Mm -hmm. Even that's safer because there's no bar on your back. Right. So on the barbell step up, which I think is still currently in the NSCA textbooks, right, <laughs> the bar's on your back. If the bench is too high, you have to bend over in order to get your center of gravity over the bench. Otherwise, you can't get off the floor. So now you're bent over with one foot in front of you, right? So now you don't even have two feet under you like in a barbell squat to be more stable. You have your feet in line with the weight extending sideways. Uh, and now you do your 20 repetitions or whatever, and you're on top of the bench, and your, your legs are burning, and you're, you're breathing heavy. And now you've got to get off. How do you get off that bench? Right. You're going to break the lock in your knee. And the floor is going to come up. And you, nobody steps forward. They all step backward where you can't see. Oh. I do know that's a, that was a classic one. And as recently as, say, 2014, uh, in fact, one other athlete actually did lose his ability to walk, getting injured in that exercise. Well, that was part two of Bill D. Simone's interview on the Informed Fitness Podcast Rewind. Coming up in part three... We'll be talking about that age-old question, which is better, machines or free weights? This has been the Inform Fitness Podcast with Adam Zickerman. For over 20 years, Inform Fitness has been providing clients of all ages with customized personal training designed to build strength fast. And now Adam and his staff would be delighted to train you virtually. Just visit informfitness.com for testimonials, blogs, and videos on the three pillars exercise, nutrition, and recovery.